begin by talking about a topic that might bug some people. Um, but it's necessary as we talk about our, um, well, I suppose it's not necessary, but it's a good jumping point into our topic today as we continue talking about the, the roles that Jesus fills uh, in safety and in our security. Um, the topic of safe spaces is a, is a thing that we talk about a lot, and it's something that sort of bugs me, I guess. Um, or I should say specifically the way it's used. Um, safe spaces, I think, are not a bad, it's not a bad concept. But things have uh, somewhat gotten removed from reality, I think. Um, a part of the common vernacular of safe spaces is that there's this place where you can avoid reality. Uh, that you can, uh, a place where you can pretend that bad things don't happen. Um, and uh, a lot of our uh, societal problems um, come from the concept that, and I don't know when we, we thought that this was a good idea, uh, but, but we decided somewhere that we could prevent all bad things from happening. Right? Uh, so, uh, and we, we all say it, you know, my son or my daughter, they're never going to have the problems that I had growing up. I'm going to make sure that they never have to go through that, right? And that's our, that's our um, you know, I suppose if, uh, if you grew up in the Great Depression and you say, well, that's never going to happen to my kids. I'm going to make sure that they never have to know what it's like not to know where their next meal is coming from. Or, and, and these are good objectives, I suppose, but somewhere we got the idea that we could prevent all bad things from happening. And so a lot of our uh, attempts at security and safety are meant to, uh, to keep any harm. Right? And this is where the stereotypical, you know, you're going to poke your eye out with that thing. Mom, it's a beach ball. You know, it's, it's like we're, we're trying to make sure nothing, envision everything that could possibly go wrong in a situation, and, and I'm not going to let that happen. And so, so we come up with the idea of safe spaces. You need a, a safe space. Well, um, again, it's not the concept of a safe space that annoys me. It's, it's the execution, I guess. Uh, there's a, safe, there's a good way to do safe spaces and a, and a not good way to do safe spaces. Um, the, the degree that people will go through to, uh, to keep themselves and insulate themselves from any and all harm. And unfortunately, uh, people now have to be kept safe from being told no or, or from hearing a different opinion. I, I can't deal with a different opinion. I can't deal with being told no. For example... Uh, you might have seen this this week. This is an actual event that happened this week or last week. Uh, someone had to have a, a, a safety horse or a security horse on the airplane. Uh, and just no one, no one at any point, we can't tell them no. We can't say no. They need their safety horse, their security horse. Much to the chagrin and the, the, the discomfort of all the people around them. We can't possibly... Say no. This is what I mean by the, the execution. Obviously, the concept itself is not bad. There are situations in which people need to be able to go to a place where they're not vulnerable to a legitimate threat. That's, that's not what we're saying here. Um, 
You know, people in a legitimate danger, we're not going to go, suck it up, buttercup. You know, you just deal with it. But that's a death threat. Yeah, whatever. No, obviously. And so obviously we should expect that Christ in in doing things does things the correct way. And so that's where we're going to begin in uh, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. It says, he will become, and we've read some of this before, right? We've talked about Christ as the, uh, the stone, as the rock of offense. He says, He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a, a rock of stumbling to both the house of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of, Israel, of Jerusalem. And, and the, the connection, uh, if we want to draw the connection, because these are not just randomly thrown together. We talk, when we talked about the, the stone and the cornerstone and all that, and became a, a, a rock of offense, and the, the connection to uh, what we're talking about today as a sanctuary, right? What is the connection between sanctuary, which is what we're talking about, and a stone? We talked about the cornerstone, but it was not just a, a, any cornerstone. That, that, that verse related to the cornerstone of the temple they were building. Uh, and and amaz- amazing as that structure was, what makes it even more amazing is that Solomon decided that he didn't want any sound of hammering when, when they brought the, the stones to, uh, the, so they had them all numbered or however they did it, but they all quarried them exactly as they were going to be put in place. And they brought them there and just assembled it. He didn't want any chiseling and so, so that's why, you know, so they brought some and said, well, that's not right. And they just took it and said, go get me another one. And so here comes this cornerstone. It had to be perfect. And that, that's the connection. But it was, it was specifically as it related to the temple, not just any old stone for any old building. But it was the sanctuary that he was talking about. And Christ is not just merely a stone, but he is the sanctuary. And that's what we're talking about today. Last week we talked about getting people to safety, that rescue, that, that initial that deliverance from, from harm. But there is a, a, a good way to do safe spaces. And Christ is a sanctuary. He is a safe space. And so we're going to uh, meet our sanctuary. Um, well, what is a sanctuary for? A sanctuary is for rest. That's what it's for. And we talked about... oh. Let's just get people out of the dangerous situation. We'll deal with what next when we get to what next. Okay, now we're, we're safe. We're out, of that. we're out of the immediate danger. What now? We've got all these people. We've got all this, uh, this situation that we have to deal with. We need sanctuary. And that's where Christ comes in. He is not just a deliverer, but He is a place uh, for rest. He is a place, uh, the first place... We're going to look at different things. Rest from what? Uh, rest from what? Uh, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, in Matthew chapter 11, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, I am lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Well, the first thing that we think of when we think of rest is rest from weariness. We're just tired. There is, in this place of rest, there is an unlimited seating capacity. Right? Isn't that nice to know that, that in this temple, 
in this place, there's, there's not, you know, we're not like, uh, we're running out of room here. Uh, we're going to have to find something else. Well, what this is, we've got all these complications, and, and, and how, how difficult is it? We've got all these different things that we have to take into consideration. Well, we can only house so many here. We're going to have to put some people over there. Christ says, no, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I have no limits on the rest that I can provide for people. He doesn't, he doesn't qualify the types of weariness that you might have. He doesn't say, well, okay, I can only handle rest for this type of people. You're going to have to go in that line over there, and that's rest for this situation. And, and I can only handle emotional trauma, but I can't handle, you know. Christ says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. There is no limit to his ability to soothe your weariness. Which is good because we all have weariness at times. And we have all different sort of circumstances that, that bring us low from one point to another. We all have a unique set of uh, things that we experience during our week and our year. And Christ says, what's your, what's your problem? I can handle it. I can give rest for your particular type of weariness. And it doesn't make a difference how many people have already come to me. I've got room for more in this sanctuary. Well, the next one. In Luke chapter 13. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones are sent to it. How often would I have gathered you your children together like a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, We need rest from destruction. We talked about self-destruction last week, and that's a lot of what this is. We often read the section before this. He's predicting the destruction of Jerusalem just prior to this. And, and if we had just had that alone, without this little bit after it, we might read that with a different tone of voice. We almost read it like, uh, like he's glad that Jerusalem is about to get destroyed. You rejected me, and you're going to, you wait, see what happens to you. That's kind of how it almost sounds as he's going through there and he's talking about not one stone is going to be left on top of one another and just this place is going to be totally destroyed. We're like, yeah, you rejected Christ, good for you. You're going to get what's coming to you. And then, and then there's this. And this tells us that his tone of voice is not the way we would say it. If it was us in that situation, boy, I would be saying it a whole lot different. I'd be like, you're getting what's coming to you. But he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How I have longed to gather you like a, like a hen gathers her. Like a hen gives her a little chick's shelter. I've longed to. These are the people that are rejecting him. These are the people that are going to, dis, to, to, to demand his crucifixion. I wish I could shelter you. I wish I could give you safety. You just don't want it. There's room if you just come. And I'm a, How do you say that? How do you say that? Because he desires to give us rest from destruction. He wanted to shield Jerusalem from their inevitable future. He just wished they would. 
he gives us shelter. Psalm 73, verse 28 says, But for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, so that I may tell of all your good works. He gives us rest from trauma. Now this is a psalm of Asaph. Who's Asaph? Asaph was the head choir guy. He was a priest. Pretty cushy life. He was David's uh, David's head of his choir. Right? Had it pretty easy. You read this psalm and it's like talking about all this destruction and awful stuff that happened that I'm pretty sure never happened to... Uh, to Asaph, sitting there in his ivory palaces. My, my guess is that, like most songwriters, we, uh, we see a lot of times, well, some good songwriters, they are inspired by their own tragedies and things like that, but a lot of them are really inspired by other people's dark moments. They get inspired and they read a story and they, they compose a song about it. Um, there was a, a young boy born in the 1860s. Um, he went, like all parents of rich kids, he went to a boarding school. Um, and uh, he, had a, he was a promising student, but he just didn't really turn out that good like a lot of students. Um, so he was unsuccessful, so his uncle... Uh, knew somebody, got him a, a job as a clerk at, as an art de- at an art dealership. And uh, uh, I don't know if it was one of those velvet things on the side of the road, uh, all the Elvises they had there. No, it was 1860. So uh, he actually liked, his passion was, was uh, write, uh, reading and books, loved Dickens, loved uh, Eliot and various ones like that. And uh, So while there, I guess he decided to start painting. Um, but wasn't very good at it, much like his like being a student. Uh, and while he was there, he fell in love with his uh, landlord's daughter. Uh, her name was Eugenie. Uh, she rejected him. Uh, she was actually engaged to somebody else. So, uh, so he was kind of despondent. So his father had him transferred to Paris, but he failed there and went back to England. Well, he moved back to England and he became a minister's assistant. He was starting to get interested in uh, theology. Ended up becoming a priest. All the time he tried painting. Uh, Still wasn't really good enough to make a living at that. And um, so then he went back to the Netherlands, where he was from, uh, and actually started translating Bibles. And... uh, he wanted to really get into a religious career, but he couldn't pass any entrance exam. So he, he was just working in small little churches. He went to Belgium, became a missionary to Belgium. And um, while he was there, he decided he wanted to be like a commoner. So they, they wanted to set him up with the, you know, all the nice clothes and everything else. Every time they'd give him nice clothes, he'd sell it and give the money to the poor. And, and so he's like, I'm not going to go outside and, and live above these people. And he just kept on giving himself. They eventually fired him because he wouldn't dress like what they thought a guy would dress like. Well, he's despondent. 
So he leaves. It was like a year, a year and a half that he, he was there. Well, he moved and he fell in love with another girl who again rejected him, a different girl. He moved to a different city in Netherlands. He tried painting as therapy. He uh, befriended a woman who had come out of prostitution. Had a couple kids. Uh, His father caught wind of that and forced her to leave his house. She went and jumped in a river and killed herself. He met one of his heroes, French painter, Gauguin. I'm probably mispronouncing that. It's French. Uh, They hung out for a little while, and Gauguin treated him like dirt. Imagine you meet your hero, and your hero treats you like dirt. And all the while, he's trying to suck up to him and and, and just like, you know, whatever you want, let's let's do this. And uh, he ended up falling into a deep depression. He went and finally committed himself to an asylum for severe depression. Uh, uh, Shortly after being released, he painted his most famous painting. It was in the final year of his life. You know this because you probably heard the song Starry, Starry Night, which is about the life. It's actually, the song is called Vincent, for Vincent Van Gogh. Just a man whose trauma, a man whose life he constantly gave himself to people and was rejected again and again and again and again and just could no longer deal with it and took his own life. A story in history that you learned about a guy who cut off his ear. Just a man out of it because of the amount of rejection but that someone else was inspired by and wrote a song about. And this, I think, is, is Asaph. I think Asaph sees the life of his friend David and sees him running here and running there, and his son rejects him, and, and the people reject him and try to kick him out, and he's got all these generals, and everybody's forming all these alliances, and, and, and it begins even before he's king. He's, got, he's, he's running from Saul. His whole life is running from enemies. And the sentiment is that it is good for me to be near God. I've made God my refuge. I can be running everywhere. I can have all the trauma in the world. But I have a refuge in Christ. That's where my refuge is. That's where my safe space is. Christ says, I am the sanctuary. This is where rest from all your Deep problems, yes. So let's know our sanctuary. Let's meet Christ.
Um, really, only a couple things that we're going to, to talk about. First of all, it is a permanent solution. Revelation chapter 21, verse 22 through 25 says this. And this is after a long section talking about, I perceive it's talking about heaven. Uh, he says, I, I saw no temple in this city, for the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. Its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, nations will walk, and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut in day, by day, and there will be no night there. And I, I think there's kind of a combination of what is my understanding of it. That this is kind of a combination. It's sort of talking about heaven. It's sort of talking about now. It's, it's, a, it's a thing that we're working toward, but it starts now. So well, we have a sun and moon. What is, what is he talking about? The idea is that spiritually speaking, light and dark don't come for us from, from the things around us. But there's this, the effect really of, of spiritually, of, of Christ in our lives makes everything that we see around us Pale by comparison. This isn't, this isn't what we look for to give us fulfillment or to give us peace or all these things. I, I, I met a, a girl, I was at Menards, and uh, I was just going to ask her if she goes to church. She says, no, I find fulfillment in my barn. She's like, all my money goes to my barn, and she, I don't know, she has a garden or whatever. I'm like, That's, there's no fulfillment there, you know. That's not what's going to give you fulfillment, not your barn. It might give you some temporary enjoyment, but it has no lasting, it has no lasting Effect. There's no sanctuary there. But of course, it is a permanent solution because it doesn't end here. It just keeps going and going and going. God and Christ are our sanctuary for an eternity. There is no darkness there. There will be no trauma to deal with there. There will be no emotional problems, no weariness. Sanctuary starts here. We, he, he gives us the rescue and He gets us to a safe space here. But there it's going to be complete peace. So if we are going to know our sanctuary, we understand what, what there is. It leaves with us one, really one final thought. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 7 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. It's a mutual agreement. Christ says, I will be your sanctuary. Here's the deal. You have to be my sanctuary. It is a, it's a mutual agreement. We, we have to have these mutual feelings here. Christ offers... All of this rest from anything that we can imagine, that we can experience. He says, you just have to make a hospitable environment for me. That's all I want. We were talking, I'm not even sure what class or whatever, it was Wednesday night, or, about the, the, the temple and, and why it had to be made like this. And what, all the, what are all the, why is all this stuff like this? And God didn't even want it in the original. God didn't ask for this thing. David just dreamed it up, and then God says, okay, while you're doing this, 
let's make it all these details. Like, what are all these details for? And he's teaching them and all those things. He's like, I want this to be the best place. If you're going to make it, you're going to make it nice. I don't want any run-down old shrine. And it's like gold and all the fancy wood in the world and just everything. Then take the fancy wood and then cover that over with gold. I'm not sure what the purpose there was, but, but that's what God said. Why? Why does he want this? He doesn't even care about a building. He said that. He said, Listen, I didn't ask for this. God wanted him to know, when you make a place for me, you make it the best you can make it. This is the agreement. That says, I don't care about church buildings. You will be my temple. I'll be yours. I'll be your sanctuary. You make yourself the best you can make it. He requires a hospitable environment. That means holiness. I had one person describe it like this. It was, made me uncomfortable to, to hear it described like this. But he said, think about it like this. He's like, all of us as, as some point in our life, well, all the, at least all the boys in this room, at some point in our life, saw a slug or a snail and got the salt. Right? At some point in our life, most of us did that. No? You did not... I got in trouble saying that in Ukraine because none of them had ever done that. And afterwards, all of them went and did it. <laughs> then I got in trouble with all the parents of people. I was like, what are you killing slugs for? Um, chemically, slugs and salt cannot coexist. They can't. They are chemically opposed. They can't be in the same place at the same time. God says, and this is why you'll see where the uncomfortable part comes in. It's just a, a good way to illustrate it. God says, I am, I'm, I'm chemically opposed to unholiness. I can't be where sin is. We are chemically, we don't mix. That's why he requires a hospitable environment. Because you have to get rid of that stuff because I can't be with you while you have this stuff that is chemically opposite of me. You have to be my sanctuary. You have to be my safe space. You don't think about it like that. It's a mutual agreement. So we'll end with one question. Am I sick and tired? How many of you have ever said that? All parents have said this. All parents have said, I am sick and tired. Not just sick, I'm sick and tired. Are you sick and tired? Do you have something? Are you you emotionally weary from something other than your kids? (laughs) Is there something... You say, I'm just weary of this. I'm sick of it. 
I'm tired of having this. I'm tired of being this. I'm tired of whatever. And I don't, I don't want it anymore. I'm sick and I'm tired. God says, I am rest. You're sick? You're tired? Come to me, all you who are sick and tired. I will give you rest. He is a sanctuary with open doors and unlimited room for people who are sick and tired. Do not live another day with your weariness, with your traumas. There are people... If, you, if, if, going, if you've tried going and just being on your own with God and it is not working, grab somebody. 